1: You don't want it, you don't need it, but you're gonna get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy, I started the podcast yesterday by saying, "Buckle up, it's about to get all stupid up in here." Remember when when Michael and I and I had the uh, the the drop of him, you know, talking to the pizza delivery guy. I w- because I was told yesterday that the next week to two weeks is just going to be one news day related to the sale of the team after another. Now, I don't know how to follow this and and keep score, because I'm not going to keep score on who's getting it right and who's getting it wrong. I'll let somebody else handle that. But obviously, since the recording of the podcast yesterday, we had the post story last night and then the Don Van Natta story on ESPN uh, this morning um by the way Duran Payne was slapped with the franchise tag and the team just added some coaches and made a couple of changes uh, within the yeah, coaching <laughs>
2: Let's do the important stuff—the stuff that people care about. You want to do? You want to just talk the football?
1: You want to talk about the fact that that Tavita Pritchard from Stanford was hired to be the quarterback coach, and Ken Zampezi yes. has been moved to senior offensive advisor slash game management. By the way, that should be you my know, that's, title. That's what I was going to say. That's the job they should be giving you. Yeah, get Ken Z out. Bring Kay Sheehan in. <laughs> um, the new def- the, the defensive backs coach is Brent Visselmeyer, the senior defensive assistant safeties coach, Richard Rogers, the assistant DB nickel coach, Chris- Christian, Garcia, a lot of kind of moves within with the, uh, Tavita Pritchard being the one higher from the outside. Look, I don't care what Eric, the I, enemy... I,
2: I, 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 I got one question about all these co- new coaches and stuff. Y- yeah. Are they intern? Are they interns, or
1: are they being paid? They're being paid, yeah. But they better—they should ask for it in cash, um, <laughs> or de- they better be on direct deposit. Uh, but um, Tavita Pritchard was the demoted to quarterbacks coach at Stanford when they changed uh, out the. Uh, um, the uh, when, they, when, when, they, when Shaw uh, was, was gone and then they elevated the other guy, whose name escapes me anyway. But, you know, what you've noticed here is, with the exception of Tevita Pritchard, that so far the moves have essentially been moving from within. And this goes to what we've talked about before, which is, you know, if you've got other options right now, why would you take a job here and work for a guy that may only be here for another year? You know, yeah. I don't want to make this Absolutely. about, I don't want to make this about B enemy. You guys know my position on this. I don't get it. Why you all don't understand that this guy didn't have any other options, but Washington, I'm not even sure that Kansas city was an option. Um, even though I think Andy Reed would have been forced to hire him back. But you know, the, You're not going to get, I don't think, a lot of outside hires unless they just don't have options, and Pritchard was one of those. This is Pritchard's first NFL coaching position coming in as a quarterback's coach. Uh, And yeah, um, Deron Payne got slapped with the franchise tag. Um, That was obviously expected. And Carson Wentz and Bobby McCain were released yesterday after the podcast. We're definitely going to talk about Carson Wentz on the podcast. But there were a few other things going on. Because it's about to get all stupid up in here, but Tommy, I want to start yes, with. Is. I want to start with a couple of reviews on Apple. Um, this was from uh, Swim Upstream. This show is a menu of excellence. What more could you ask for? Five stars, <laughs> and that's all we need. Five stars and one to two sentences, like Swim Upstream wrote. Perfect. Um, this one from Jacob. Uh, on, uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter on Apple, um, reviews, uh, a Washington slash tomato fan living in Ireland. I was born and raised in the DMV, but moved to New York city when I was 18. And I've loved Tom and Kevin since the sports fix days. It was my only way to feel like I was at home. Now I live in Cork city, Ireland, I've been a diehard D.C. sports fan my whole life. Kevin and Tom are the best. They are smart, honest, and their passion for sports is palpable. Thanks for keeping me up to date on all that is going on in D.C. sports. When I listen, it is like I am back home in D.C. By the way, I used to hate tomatoes as well until I learned that adding salt changes the experience dramatically. You and Tom should get some cherry tomatoes, cut one in half, crack some salt on it, and eat it on the podcast. would love to hear your experience live on the pod. Thanks again for all you do. Keep up the excellent work. Kevin, right. without Tom, is like a tomato without salt. It just doesn't taste nearly as good. Thank you, Jacob. I appreciate that. Uh, Let me just
2: point out, if yeah. you put salt on most things, it's going to improve the taste, I think.
1: I don't put salt on I don't put salt on anything except for egg salad. It's the only thing I put salt on. I put pepper on everything.
2: But you're right. I, I put salt on French fries and that's it.
1: I actually like I like unsalted potato chips. I like the uts. It's oh
2: it's God. the blue
1: it's the you bluish. We, bag. we might
2: as well end this podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs>
1: I, I get
2: Just, the... Let's, let's, we're done. I don't even know who you are. I get, unsalted, I
1: get unsalted peanuts, too. You can taste the peanut. You can taste the chip when there's no salt on it. I prefer that. Do you know how much salt is in pretty much everything you eat already?
2: Yes, I know. Okay. I know. I know,
1: dear. Please, tell me. <laughs> dear. <laughs> um... I don't know that I would do the salt on tomatoes, but I would I'll give it a shot with a cherry tomato with some pepper. I like pepper. And cheese. How about cheese? How about How about bacon? How about some pepper and <laughs> bacon on the tomato? That will taste great. There you great. go. Cuz bacon on anything pretty much makes whatever that anything is taste great. Um yeah. okay, where would you like to start today?
2: Well, you know what's interesting? In between the Post story and the Don Van Atta ESPN story, there was the team response to the Post story, mm-hmm. which I thought was, was pretty hilarious. <laughs> you know, it was a one-sentence response that basically ended with, the story is simply not true. Untrue, yeah. Which, untrue, simply untrue, which kind of like first told me, Boy, they've cut back on spending lawyer on money on lawyers, haven't they?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was because, not a John Brownstone or whatever the guy's name no. is. You know, response. Right.
2: No, you didn't need to have a law degree to write that <laughs> response.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, the funny thing is there was plenty in that story that was true that is you know, without debate true. They just said the, uh, st- pro- the transaction process involving the Washington Commanders, the story in the Post, is simply untrue. Um, yeah. You know, that's probably...
2: That's it. that's it. Drop the mic. We're done here.
1: That may be their best response <laughs> to anything ever. Seriously. That's a but good...
2: It really, my, my, first, my first thought was, man... They're, they're, they're cut back on spending money on lawyers responding to these things, haven't they?
1: Well, you know, as some of these lawyers may not be getting paid by the organization. Organization seems to be in a little bit of a financial pickle. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, a little bit.
1: Oh, my God. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 we're, I guess we need to assume that most of you um, have read both the Post story and the Don Van Natta story. I mean, in summary, the Post story, which came out last night, written by Masky, Nikki, and Liz, Mark Maskey, Nikki Javala, and Liz Clark, wrote that Dan Snyder and his attorneys have demanded that fellow NFL franchise owners and the league indemnify him against future legal liability and costs if he sells the team. Snyder's demands, which include a threat to sue if the indemnification condition is not met, have angered some owners and renewed discussion about the possibility of taking a vote to remove him from ownership if he does not sell the franchise. Um, One uh, quote here from uh, someone, I guess, on the condition of anonymity. He wants indemnification if he sells that's ridiculous and absurd. He should provide indemnification to the other owners for any legal claims that may arise from his actions, his, his and the team's actions. Um, a, a paragraph in the Post story, the owners definitely would move toward a vote to remove Snyder if he does not sell. Um, the, there's also something in here that suggests that Snyder, once uh, the findings of the Mary Joe White investigation kept confidential, Uh, A part of the story also suggests that Jerry Jones is the one that the league's counting on to broker a peace deal uh, that would basically, you know, force Snyder to sell, but without further acrimony. Um, And I think I summed up most of the post story. The post story then also confirmed the, uh, the uh, Josh Kosman story in the New York Post, which was the first to have that Bezos had been rebuffed by Snyder. Um, the Athletic also had it on Sunday night that Bezos um, was not uh, someone that Snyder would accept a bid from. The Post added to that saying that according to a, uh, some, somebody that they had here uh, quoted throughout the story, Snyder is acting out of spite because of Bezos' ownership of the Post. It's not clear whether Snyder's approach represents a final decision or posturing as part of a negotiating strategy. So that was the gist of the post story. And then the Don Van Natta story, which has a lot in it that um, we we certainly are going to you know, read to you. Um, but the, the the gist of it is Dan Snyder in 2019 took out a credit line from Bank of America for $55 million. He had to get that credit line request approved by his co-investors, the three men who owned 40% of the team, Fred Smith, Dwight Schar, and Bob Rothman. He did not do that. Bank of America requested, just like if you were to go get a line of credit or go get a loan, you know they give you the list. You know we need pay stubs, we need, you know, we need an appraisal, we need all these different things. And one of those things was Bank of America wanted him to uh, uh, to state that the co-investors had approved him going for this fifty-five million dollar line of credit, which they never, according to this story, supplied. So in essence. He uh, obtained a $55 million line of credit um, without disclosing everything that he was supposed to disclose. But at the same time, Bank of America gave him the credit line anyway. Funny, by the way, Bank of America also has been retained by Dan Snyder as his banker in the sale of the team. And ultimately, this was all settled by the commissioner who approved Dan going for the $55 million line of credit. That would be Roger Goodell. Knew that the co investors were unsure, uh, were unaware of this, but decided rather than to go after Dan and punish Dan, he essentially was the mediator uh, in the conversation that led to Dan selling, I'm sorry, Dan buying back. 40% of the ownership from those three minority shareholders when he did that to the tune of $875 million, which the league waived the debt limit and then loaned him the money to do it. So, this has been from that Eastern District of Virginia, which had the Jason Friedman stuff, which had other stuff, which all sort of emanated from the House Oversight and Reform Committee, which started up Uh, And the Mary Jo White investigation, which started up. Why? Because of the Gruden emails. You know, I, I mean, this all goes back to everything in terms of the position he's in now deals with him doing what he does best, which is punch himself in the face over and over again. Never thinks out what may, what may lay ahead when he is in one of those emotional, impulsive, vindictive moods to get back at somebody, whether it was Bruce Allen or the three minority co-investors, uh, shareholders. So anyway, there are pieces to this Van Natta story that are really interesting, which I will get to, but I'll ask you first to give me your reaction to the Post and the Van Natta story.
2: Well, as far as the Venada story, uh, this is the—I mean, this is the one criminal investigation right. that is going on. I mean, the Virginia Attorney General is still looking into the same things that the Maryland Attorney General looked into, and find and, and find the commanders two hundred fifty thousand dollars,
1: which they paid, and
2: the district, right? And the district is, has filed a suit against as well. There are two suits by the district. One of them deals with this financial, the financial issues. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he's, he, he just looks worse and worse all the time. But uh, the, the criminal investigation is interesting in terms of the minority partners who were bought out. Okay, look, uh, law, uh, these agencies, like the Eastern District uh, U.S. Attorney, they make decisions about what cases to prosecute or what cases to investigate all the time. They, they have no shortage of corruption to pick from, okay? And they make decisions as to, well, let's, let's look into this, let's look into that. To me, this tells me that those minority investors, particularly I think Dwight Scharr, uh they've got some political clout. Okay, Dwight Scharr was a very powerful figure in the Republican Party for years, okay? Uh, Fred Smith, I don't know his, his political leanings, per se, or his political sway, but he's head of FedEx, so I'm thinking he has some political power in that sense. So it wouldn't surprise me that the, the whole bug about investigating this, that, they, that was turned on by the U.S. Attorney's Office... Uh, they were turned on to this. I think I, my guess is by some of these minority investors who think they got screwed over by Snyder.
1: I would imagine that the 875 million dollar buyout included major confidentiality agreements, but maybe I, I could be wrong. But go ahead. What else you
2: got? Well, that's that's where I think that's that's where I think the motivation's coming from. I, mean, I think. I mean, if you think that Dwight Schar and, and Fred Smith are just going to lay down uh, guys like that and let Snyder roll over them like, like he seemed to and, and, and get away with it, no. No, there was always going to be retribution to pay, and I think this is connected to that. Uh, that I think we can safely say that uh, he's being investigated for corruption. Like I've said before. You know, and uh, this, is, this is a criminal enterprise right now we're talking about. Well, he's being
1: investigated uh, for, for, for bank fraud by illegally right. obtaining a line of credit. Yes. Right. Yes. But yeah. the three that were, you know, the, the three co-investors that needed to sign off on him uh, attempting to get this line of credit from bank, for Bank of America are long gone now. I'm not suggesting yes, that are. what you said is forgotten. isn't true, but they but they 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 sat down with the commissioner, and the commissioner, by the way, signed off on this thing. The commissioner is as sneaky as 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 Dan's been with respect to this. And I don't know Absolutely. why Goodell continues and has, you know, not recently, but. Um, has felt, well, I mean, he works for the owners. I mean, that's one answer, right? He works for the owners, and his job is to pre- protect the owners. But his job also is to protect co-owners as well. And in this particular case, three co-owners, even though they were minority co- co-owners, were you know, not made aware of something that ultimately you know, produced a bit of a shakedown of them. You know, uh, the funny, the irony of this is Dan has punched himself over and over again in the face. And yet what this particular incident led to was a buyout uh, of eight hundred and seventy five million, which places their the valuation that they were bought out at at two point two billion dollars. And now the you know two years later the team is going to sell for likely 5 to $6 billion. Now, their shares wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have been bought out at the full valuation because they were minority shares. But a 2.2, put it this way, it would have been at least a 3 to $4 billion valuation that they, would, that they should have been. They, they cut a bad deal. They got a bad deal on, right. on being bought out. But, you know, they, they had had right. it with him. And probably, you know, they I, didn't I want that. any liability being associated with him
2: anymore. Well, I, 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 that may all be true. I think what we're what we're seeing from the U.S. Attorney's uh, Office, uh, I think the seed was planted by political retribution from some of these, if not one or all, these minority investors. That's a hunch. I've got no proof. That's, uh, that's connecting dots. I, I just don't think guys like Dwight Shahr and Fred Smith... Eat this kind of shit sandwich from Snyder without saying you're gonna get yours. So I, I, I think I think that and let's not forget what remember John Moog yeah. with with the backing right. force yeah. uh with Snyder, where where Moog said to Snyder, you know, you better shut up because I know some stuff that's gonna come out if you keep mouthing off, basically.
1: Right. Who,
2: Maybe this was
1: it. R- refresh my memory. Moog was representing whom?
2: I think Moog was representing these minority investors. Yes,
1: I think you're right. And remember, yes. remember Fred Smith, uh, the, the, they tried to sell their stake, and Snyder uh, Snyder uh, wouldn't accept it. Um, it's, in yeah, that, 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 it's in the Van Atta story, too.
2: It's in the Van Atta story. A guy who wound up getting it approved as a minority investor with another team.
1: Falcons, yeah. Yes. Um, This is that part of the story. uh, Yes, yes. I mean, this this was Snyder in his constant, essentially shakedown of his co-investors. More than two years before they spotted this $55 million um, uh, loan, line of credit, excuse me, buried in an audit. The partners had begun considering selling some or all of their stakes in the team. They were frustrated with Snyder's stewardship. However, Snyder made it almost impossible for them to sell, according to the documents. In 2018, Fred Smith received an offer to purchase his 10% stake in the team. But Snyder blocked the sale, telling Smith that the proposed buyer would not be acceptable to the NFL. That proposed buyer was Alan Kestenbaum, the chairman and CEO of Canadian Steel Company, Company Stelco. A year later, Kestenbaum bought a minority stake in Arthur Blank's Atlanta Falcons after he was approved by the full membership of NFL owners. Kestenbaum did not return messages from ESPN. Um, in their arbitration petition, the partners alleged that Snyder blocked the sale to Kestenbaum because the due diligence required by a new limited partner would have revealed the misconduct. Yes, that makes sense, right? You've got somebody who's buying Fred Smith's 10%, and he says, hey... Uh, before I purchase this ten percent, I need to see the books. I need to see everything. Yes. And Snyder was already essentially keeping a lot of that away from the three minority uh, shareholders. So, I have a couple of, of for, I have a couple of thoughts overall um, on the two stories. Number one, the big picture takeaway for me is that. And I've gotten a lot of this from the weekend with, you know, no Bezos and Snyder digging his heels in. And by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, there's just a lot of information. Remember, we were saying it was very buttoned up a week and a half, two weeks ago. But in the last week, there's been a lot of information flying around from lots of different sources within the sort of overall... Um, building that is Washington Commanders and Dan Snyder. You know, Dan Snyder has kind of a family office that helps and and manages all of the Snyder stuff. And some of that's wrapped up into the team. And then there's the team. So not everybody, I think, understands what the other hand is doing and saying. But anyway, to me, the number one takeaway from almost everything over the weekend, but especially the post story and this story from Van Natta, is Snyder has to sell people. He can't afford to keep the team. Something I I laid out yesterday, I added kind of a third reason, but number one is just financially they have been in a struggling situation from a cash flow standpoint. By the way, it's affected football decisions. Just go back to last year when Terry McLaurin's contract extension, they waited as long as they could because all of that guaranteed money needed to go into escrow. It's why this offseason, you're not going to see any, any big deals. No way are they putting a lot of money into escrow. They may not have it to put into, uh, to put into escrow. But number one is, you know, financially they've been strapped. Uh, and in addition to the loan that he has to pay back, he did not have enough money to build the stadium. And he's not getting any public help as long as he's the owner. Number two, the financials of the business continue to go down. I mentioned last week that the net profit of the organization has dropped 25 to 26% in the last five years. It's continuing to go down. No matter what Jason Wright tells you about ticket sales up, corporate sponsorship up, it's a bad situation for this size market and the kind of operation they're running. Number two is... The families wanted this, I think, for a while, and I think that Green Bay game when they booed Tanya was a big deal. But reason number three is if you believed what I have believed and I think what Tommy's believed, which is all of this stuff is kind of on the periphery of the main reason he should sell the team or be ousted, and that is the market is not viable as a real earner as an NFL franchise, with him as the owner, it doesn't matter if you know a certain uh, lawsuit doesn't go uh, goes his way, or a Mary Joe white investigation doesn't you know really indicate or implicate him. Um, and it just can you imagine if he tried to hold on to the team? By selling a 40% stake to some you know, uh, big rich dude that doesn't know anything about football that just wants to make a good investment. Which, by the way, there may be somebody out there willing to do that. But if you think that the market isn't viable now, imagine with the expectations that have been built over the last few months, he doesn't sell. I mean, the only people left are the group of dumbasses that were telling us a year ago that the Carson Wentz trade was a great trade. You know that would yeah. be it. It would be those 1000 people on Twitter who tell you to shut up or get out. That would be all they'd have left. That and the 15,000 people that would show up to to root for the other team. So the finances of the organization would continue to plummet if he stayed. He has to sell. Can't afford to keep it. Plan the parade. That's my number 1 Takeaway. Number two is, and I already mentioned it, is just, you know, it's really an indication of we've known this for a while and they've cut back on the way they travel and how they stay on the road. We've been hearing that for two years running. Um, You know, they used to travel in grand style. One of the reasons that they could attract free agents was money, yes, but they treated the players like, you know, royalty you know back in the day but that's not the way they've 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 conducted business in recent years. They've traveled on the cheap, they've had, you know, meals on the cheap. I'm talking about when they travel for a road game. They've become more of a frugal franchise. It's because of this cash flow issue that they've had and the reason for that is that all of those other revenues after the media revenue has that that those revenues have continued to plummet because the team stinks and the fans have left. Um, I a couple of other uh, thoughts. Uh, I, I mentioned you know his best punch is punching himself in the face. I still can't believe that you know eventually, like you say, the passage of time has never been good to Dan Snyder, so it would have always been yeah. something else that would have emerged. But him mistreating his three co-investors, and then the Gruden email saga. It's basically the root cause of everything, by the way, including the deterioration of that relationship with his three investors led to, by the way, Dwight Shar going scorched earth with the India media company and the smear campaign, exactly. which was stupid on Shar's part. Um, but, yes. but, But really specific to Fred Smith, remember what started the process on the name change. The climate was, was ripe for this in the wake of George Floyd's murder. But it was Fred Smith who was the first one. This was the first money salvo. You know what? We're going to hurt you where it hurts you the most, and that is in your pocketbook. Because Federal Express is not doing business with you anymore if you don't change the name. And Fred Smith... The, the deterioration of that relationship with Fred Smith led to Smith being the first to come out and say, change the name or else. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't have eventually happened in that climate. But remember, the story was kind of dead. You know, we, they were still running uh, uh, fresh with the wind at their back off the 2016 Post story that indicated 9 out of 10 Native Americans did not think that the name was insensitive. And then July of 2020, Fred Smith says, Federal Express wants them to change the name or they're not doing business. And this was because of the deterioration of the relationship with his co-investors. The last big takeaway I have on this, too, is that we know that Snyder is, you know, is a bottom barrel business person. But my God, Tommy, Roger Goodell, I understand his job, number one job is to protect ownership, but he screwed over the three co owners. And that you know, by by basically mediating that dispute and not going after Snyder. You know, and, and, and ending any sort of recourse that they had by brokering, in essence, the purchase of their 40% stake. Um, I don't get why even at that point, you know, and I know that's 2019-2020 time frame. I think at that point, Goodell had had it with Snyder. The other owners had had it with Snyder. And they would have preferred another owner in Washington. To me, this would have been an opportunity to make a move on Snyder. But he didn't.
2: And you know what I don't get also is, uh, look, by then, I think they should have had information or suspected that there were two sets of books, okay, for this team. And, and if that's the case, then Goodell is not serving the interests of his fellow owners by protecting Snyder. If that's, unless they all do it.
1: See that's yeah. what you know unless, my feeling on unless that. They from, all have
2: two my my
1: feeling on that from the jump was first of all the with respect to not uh, uh returning the deposits of the um leaseholders for for seats that you know there's probably something in fine print that basically required the customer to to come after that money. Now they've settled with Maryland for two hundred and fifty thousand. I mean that's peanuts, obviously. And you know, there's no, still no, no,
2: not it's not peanuts for this team.
1: Well, it may not maybe, he, maybe he's gone to Bank of America to take out a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar loan to pay that off. Um, but... I think
2: that's the biggest fine the attorney general gave out last year in the state of Maryland.
1: Um but I, I think, you know, right now, as far as the Carl Racine thing and his replacement, it, I, I haven't read anything as to where the I, – I, in fact, the last thing I read was that guy was really seriously contemplating whether or not this made sense to move forward with. I'm, I'm forgetting
2: who well, that not new guy is, the lawsuits. new attorney
1: general. Um,
2: there's two district lawsuits. One deals with the financials, and the other one deals with, with his lying before Congress and misrepresenting which is the one that was the more controversial one of the two.
1: Right. Um, there's, a, there's,
2: a, there's two lawsuits. But I, but I one very identical to what happened in Maryland.
1: The Jason Friedman stuff, I always felt like, first of all, what are we really talking about in total aggregate dollar count? And two –
2: you see, I don't get why you feel that way. I understand what you're going to say. Full I, House of Cards I
1: understand what has you're going to say. But,
2: because of Jason Friedman. Uh, no,
1: I, I understand. I've said to you all along the root cause of the Gruden emails led to House Oversight and Reform, Mary Jo White, and Jason Friedman becoming a guy that testified, that started a lot of this stuff, that started the House Oversight and Reform Committee investigation. Understood. What I'm saying, though, specific to the allegations of. You know, cooking the books with respect to ticket revenue. You know, shorting the league back money that was owed to them. I never felt gut instinct that that was something that they were alone on in the league. Uh, that and 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 whatever that may be. So I. That, that's all that may, I'm, that may that's be, I'm that saying. That may
2: be why they didn't have why they didn't have a taste. Because I mean, my impression would be based on what he knew in 2019. The first question if Goodell should ask, well, what's he doing to screw up his fellow owners? I guess that's a question that you know Goodell doesn't want to ask, never wants to know. Look, you know, in that case,
1: I would suggest to you that it's it may not be just the only case of an owner, you know, going out to secure a loan or a credit line or something else without getting their co-investors to sign off on it. I mean, there are lots of things that happen when you are the primary shareholder, the majority owner of a company. Um, But that aside, um, I, I, I wonder if that indemnification stuff in the Post story was about this you know, about this. It's probably about a lot of things. Uh, you know, Neil and Rockville suggested to me, look, as an owner in the league right now, if the league gets sued for say, you know, the minority hiring stuff down the road and they lose a big law case lawsuit, you know, Dan could still have some liability as a guy that was an owner at the time. And he could just want to be, you know, indemnified against all of, you know, the, the, the future stuff. Um, there's something else I was going to say, and now... Okay, I'm, here's the thing. Yeah. I,
2: found, I found the Moog text. Moog did represent those three minority owners. Right. Okay. And their attempted and sale of, Moog, their, of
1: their stake, right? Remember? Yes. Th- yes.
2: Yes, and this is what Moog tested, texted to Snyder. Uh, if you continue your game, you know what I know and what I have never spoken about. And you know it has nothing to do about the media blank. It's the more serious blank.
1: Right. Which we always took as, oh, he's got the goods on Snyder sexually assaulting somebody. Or something else yeah, in but that maybe, category. But,
2: but maybe it's this. Yeah. Maybe it's this thing that, that, that the, that's going on right now in the, in the Van Attas story.
1: I want to read a couple of the parts of the Van Natta story um, and just um, comment on them. Um, There's a paragraph that reads, Three billionaires, by the way, referring to the three co-investors, Char, Rothman, and Smith. Three billionaires, not a few whistleblowers, alleged to the NFL arbitrator that their partner had possibly committed bank fraud. This is jail time type of fraud. The NFL owes them as much as a fair shake. It owes as much of a fair shake as it owes to Snyder to those other investors. And the league had no interest in finding out what happened. They buried it and didn't investigate it and covered it up. It does appear that Goodell knew this, knew that they didn't approve of it, didn't even know about it, and basically said, let's get you guys out of here. Let's get you guys bought out. And moved on from so we can bury this thing now my personal view is and I'm not a lawyer I would bet a lot of money that Dan Snyder does not do jail time for this kind of fraud I I, especially considering that he ended up getting the loan and the three people that were harmed potentially have been bought out for a sum that they agreed to Um, do you have any thoughts on this uh, suge- suggestion of jail time, type of fraud, and by the way, the lead, well, th- Goodell covering I, it up. I
2: think it's. I think I think you make that comment. You you put that in your story to separate it from the other stuff that Snyder is facing. I think I think the, the Eastern uh, District investigation ha- has more weight because of the possible consequences. Whether you think he'll suffer them or not. I mean, the other stuff, you know, like what happened in Maryland, what could happen in the district, what could happen with the Virginia Attorney General, that's all civil stuff. That's all civil proceedings where he'll get fined if he's found guilty or, or settles, as, he, as they did in Virginia. But I think this that's to separate that this is a criminal investigation with possible criminal consequences. So I think it's important to include that, I mean, does anyone think Dan Snyder is going to go to jail? No, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, I I, I tell you what, uh, having Dan Snyder testify in a criminal trial, he might as well go to jail.
1: The other, the other part of this too is if Dan has any grand illusions of attracting a forty percent investor at you know say a three billion dollar valuation or four billion dollar valuation to you know get a, a you know a, a billion and a half dollars to pay off his loan and stay in business as the primary shareholder, who would do business with him after reading all of this? He mistreated and and and, att- and attempted to cheat his co-investors and was dishonest with them.
2: Um, it's always amazing that that where I, we find people that are willing to sign up and do business with this guy. Yeah, and it's just stunning to me that 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 continues. Now, now, you know that that group of people has shrunk considerably, but there's still people out there willing to do it. Like their experience is going to be different.
1: I still, by the way, can't believe that they cut the deal that they cut at the time. Like. I understand the Denver deal hadn't been done yet, but there had to be a sense, maybe, of what Denver would sell for. I mean, ultimately, they got bought out at a 2.2 billion dollar valuation, and less than three years later, the team is going to sell for close to five and a half billion, more likely than not. It, by the way, well,
2: you obvi- know what? So, you know what? There's, yeah. there's for some people, there's value in revenge.
1: Um, well, there's also value to those people who are so massively wealthy anyway, just to get the fuck out. Like, I don't think that they they just, and by the way, they were off the board at that time, but still, you know, being a co-investor and working with Dan, they probably felt like they just had liabilities working with him, you know, and being one of his co, um, investors. Uh, but, um, you know, he's going to make quite the return on that investment. I mean, it's going yes, to be a is. massive return on investment for him uh, for that $875 million. I mean, they must, you know, I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons perhaps uh, this $55 million line of credit, uh, you know, got to the Eastern District of Virginia, to the feds there, like you suggested at the beginning. Um, so yeah. one of the first questions I, I thought I had was, well, what was the $55 million bucks for? Like what? I mean, they're an NFL team. What do they need a credit line for fifty-five million dollars? You know, they they, 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 You know, people would always look at that Forbes valuation. They're worth four billion dollars. Um, well, I mean, this is kind of laid out by Nata. By the way, let's be clear about the Nata story. This isn't based on anonymous sourcing. This is based on the documents that are a part of this investigation. The 61-page pages of, of arbitration documents. This is this is not, you know, do you believe Van Nata or not believe Van Nata? This is from yeah. the arbitration petition. Let me just get to the part of the Van Nata story that kind of lays out a lot of, you know, the $55 million and other things that Snyder was doing to his co-investors. So Vanatta writes, in April 2020, the same month that the partners discovered the $55 million credit line, Snyder, for the first time, failed to pay his partners their quarterly share of team profits, the arbitration filing alleged. By the way, just think about that. He's got this $55 million credit line that he's trying to bury and hide from his co-investors. And then he doesn't pay them their quarterly profit. Like, don't you think they're going to get a little suspicious? Like, keep them on the straight and narrow, like, hey, keep them happy paying them, and they, they're not going to, you know, get into the books. The partner said they already knew the team's local revenues, those derived apart from the NFL media rights deals, had dropped by one-third over the previous decade, from $241 million in fiscal 2009 to $160 million in fiscal year 2020. People, this is what we've been talking about for years now, the erosion of the fan base and what it was doing to all of the other revenue streams, not named media revenue. Washington is sunk to small market status. Jacksonville, Charlotte, those kinds of markets are the markets that are comparable to what Washington's been generating for a decade in ancillary revenue. The partners confronted Snyder about the missed quarterly payment in May of 2020 and asked why he had secured the credit line. They also demanded an explanation for what they called self-dealing transactions. Snyder ignored their que- ignored their questions, the partners allege in the documents, except to eventually tell them the team had borrowed more than 20 million under the credit line. When Rothman complained about the team's board had not met in years, Snyder responded, "What the fuck do I need a board meeting for in June. Uh, in, uh, in a June 5th, 2020 letter, Snyder's lawyer told the partners that Snyder planned to expense more than seven million in unreimbursed business expenses for fiscal years 2017 through 2020. Snyder also revealed that he was seeking one million in reimbursements for for vehicle costs and extra security required during foreign travel due to his high prof, uh, profile position as owner. In the letter, Snyder revealed that the expenses included a July 2018 yacht party in the south of France where he hosted fellow owners Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, and Terry uh, Pagula of the uh, Buffalo Bills. This included world-class cuisine prepared by some of the top personal sh- personal chefs in the world and the highest quality wine and beverages, the partners said in their petition, uh, the partners said in their petition, and Snyder told the partners he had hired the accounting firm PWC Price Waterhouse to perform a detailed accounting of all business expenses for the entire 17-year investment period of the partners. So what was going on then was Snyder was essentially being aggressive in his response on this $55 million credit line. Like, how dare you? I'm going to go back and find out all the expenses that you should have been sharing in over the 17 years that you were the the co-investors, that you were the minority shareholders in my team. Um, Late on the evening of June 17th, 2020, Snyder informed his partners he had removed them from the six-member board. Oh, my God, Tommy, I forgot about that part. Remember? They were they were removed yeah. from the board. In their petition to the NFL, the partners alleged that Snyder's removal violated the stockholders' agreement and continued a pattern of gross disregard of both his contractual and fiduciary duties. Snyder immediately placed the three men with replaced the three men with two new directors, uh, Aaron Brashi and Gregory Owens. The partners said the two men had worked for Snyder in the past and were beholden to Snyder. Um, anyway. Well, I
2: tell you what, I'll bet you those two guys. I bet you they're spitting their morning coffee (laughs) that their names have suddenly emerged (laughs) in all this. Two guys we've never heard of before. (laughs) And now everybody is Googling, who are these guys? Who are these weasels?
1: Not to mention, uh, most smart people think very long and hard about becoming a director on a board because the liability liability associated with that is pretty significant and so i don't think anybody in their right mind should want to be on a board of directors in a company owned by dan (laughs) snyder um i mean the the shar and rothman and smith should have asked to get off the board um Anyway, uh, hold on. There's there's more here that's interesting. So the partners said they also discovered that Snyder had leased his personal jets back to the team. Um, <laughs> hey, pay me for these jets that I own or that I, ha- that I have. Besides Snyder paying himself a salary of $10 million a year, he also had arranged for the franchise to pay him a total of $4.5 million for having the team logo emblazoned on his personal jet. An advertising fee, Snyder called it, document show. But the partner said the logo on Snyder's private jet provides little or no advertising value. Plus, they said they never approved the millions per year Snyder paid himself. Look, there are a lot of owners of businesses that figure out lots of different ways to pay themselves or to get uh, expenses Paid okay. Not to mention the write-offs that come with you know that 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 position uh, as well. Um, but the bottom line is that fifty-five million dollar credit line was accessed um, in a fraudulent way uh, because it was not approved by the board of directors and by the co-investors. Um, yeah, I don't know. Look, yeah, th- 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 it's like. Did he I guess in June of 2020 the relationship really started to go down the hill and it was a month later that Fred Smith said get rid of the name. Like did he ever think that you know the way the name was going to be lost Tommy was money. Once the biggest sponsors in the league or for the team said we're not giving you any more until you change the name, until that happened, the name wasn't going anywhere. I don't care how you know, um, how much of, of an environment it seemed, uh, how, how right the the environment seemed to be at the time. It was going to take corporate pressure, and Fred Smith started that. And then everybody jumped on board with Fred Smith, you know, PepsiCo and others. I don't know. Yeah. He's selling the team, people. There's, he doesn't have yeah, any other he choice. Is. Here's a question yeah. for you. You
2: know what's funny? Pe- people are willing to believe. That Sam Howell can be a quarterback for this team. That Eric Biannimi, who could, couldn't basically get a job anyplace else, is going to be signing on a miracle order with this team. But they're in a panic because they don't think Dan Snyder's going to have to sell a team.
1: <laughs> um, if, but, by the way, uh, Josh Kosman from the New York Post, who was on with me yesterday on radio, um, said to me at one point I asked him he said something he said part of why some of the potential bidders and then even Josh Harris and you know uh, Tillman uh, Fertita, the Rockets owner ha- you know that the, the value isn't as great as they want or others have just kind of backed out entirely is because there was a feeling that not all of the financial information was included in the prospectus, like the, and and I asked him, well, what kind of financial information was he leaving out? And he said, it's a good question, but, um, he didn't really have a specific answer, but he did talk about like tax evasion and some other things, um, that may have related to this. Like, you know, these are the kinds of things that you have to disclose when you're selling a company by the way, I, I would like to know, and no one has answered this question: What the state of that fifty-five million-dollar line of credit is right now? Like, how much did they? How much of it have they used? A, B, how much of it has been paid back? For all we know, it's been completely paid off and is no longer a thing anymore. Other than the way he obtained it.
2: You know, Skipper Dan could have saved himself a lot of trouble if he'd have just named you and me to the board. I would have. You know,
1: I, I would have we said.
2: We could have straightened this
1: out. I would have made sure that you and I were not directors, but that we were just advisors and well-paid advisors. Advisors <laughs> don't get sued. Directors do. Um, and so all that money that we would have taken in director's fees, we would have needed to pay lawyers to to, to get us free of, of whatever we were being accused of. My question to you is this. We both believe, right, that he's going to sell the team. I don't think there's any yes. doubt he's going to sell the team but
2: if yeah, he's going to have to
1: if you know Josh Harris and Tillman Fertitta and he continues to exclude Bezos and there isn't another one that emerges and he feels, you know, stupidly that he's not winning in the negotiation on the sale of his team and he's not getting the 6 billion. By the way, I suggested this guy suggested to this guy Cosman too, could the leave could the league forgive the loan that they gave him and he said, "Yeah, that's possible." I mean, cuz they want him out so badly. Snyder actually has some yeah. leverage right now a little bit cuz they want him gone so much. But because he
2: smells so bad.
1: He, <laughs> So in the event, two questions here. In the event that for whatever reason he screws up the sale, which we talked about you know, months ago, like he screwed up everything else, he might screw up the sale, do you think they would vote him out?
2: Yes. Absolutely. Look, I think the NFL is going to have a say in who owns this team next. This whole notion that Bezos is being frozen out kind of ridiculous
1: it may not be a ridiculous bezos, in the moment like you like you've said before I in mean, the moment no yeah.
2: i guess said that yes but, but the nfl if the nfl wants jeff bezos to own the washington uh commanders he's going to own the washington commanders i mean jeff bezos is a part business partner with the league in multiple areas and you're going to tell him he's not good enough to own a football team your 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 teams are on his network your schedule is put together by amazon web services he has his fingers and stuff throughout the league and now you're going to say no bullshit this may be snyder pulling you know to drive up the price or his own petty you know miseries that he has but if the nfl and wants to wants Bezos to own a team and Bezos decides it's the commanders, that will happen. I th- They're not going to freeze out a business partner.
1: I I asked Cosman the question, would they allow him to sell to a lower bidder? And he said at this point, maybe. And I think he's right about that. I think they just want him out so badly that if if he really is hell-bent on not selling to Bezos, you know, if he's penny-wise pound-foolish on that and he just, you know, like not, you know, trading, you know, cousins to San Francisco um, or approving that trade, like Josh Harris to me, Josh Harris, you know, I think you know this. Josh Harris is a minority shareholder in the Pittsburgh Steelers. He owns two sports teams in the 76ers and the Devils. He came in, you know, second or third, roughly, in the bidding on Denver. He has cleared all of the vetting with the other owners. He would pass through easily. Um, he's apparently he's already offered somewhere between five point five and five point seven billion dollars. I think it's going to be Josh Harris. I don't think they're going to force Bezos on him if he's willing to sell the team to Josh Harris because they just want it over. Now, maybe Jerry's going to have something to do with this. You know, as the Post describes, they need Jerry to kind of come in here and say, hey, Dan, you got got to sell a team. You got to sell it. I mean, we can't do business in D.C. anymore. Um, uh, I think he's going to sell the team to Josh Harris. That's my prediction today. What's yours?
2: Just like the NFL said, Uh, Just like the NFL would tell Snyder, no, you can't put a stadium in Woodbridge, Virginia. They're going to have the final (laughs) say on who the owner can be. The owner has to be approved. So, again, I think it's up to Bezos. And this has been brought up in other media, uh, so it's not like I'm breaking new ground here. The Seattle Seahawks are owned by the Paul Allen Family Trust. Paul Allen passed away a few years ago, and everyone speculates that that team is going to be up for sale maybe in the next couple of years okay? that's an attractive franchise that's a fan base that's not damaged with a stadium that's not a mess right. okay so, and, and Bezos has ties to that area so he may decide I'll just wait until you know Seattle's available and make my move there unless he wants to get in now and if he does I think Jeff Be- I think if Jeff Bezos wants to own the Washington Commanders, he will own the Washington Commanders. Is that so that's sp- my prediction.
1: That's your prediction. Okay.
2: Yes. Um. And here, remember, when these things happen, Kevin, uh, you know, sometimes competing bidders, they become partners. Remember, Snyder was by himself in the initial bid to, to, to buy the, the Redskins. And then he, he partnered up with Milstein. Right. Okay. And then Milstein was, was,
1: was apparently you know, off putting. Yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, and, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, Milstein, they, they,
1: they didn't want Milstein, but Dan at 34 years yeah. old apparently was fine. He, he must have done a number on them.
2: I mean, I've seen this with, with sales before competing bidders, they reached some kind of agreement to combine their bids to have enough money. To, to you know, to do this, so that's entirely possible as well. That you know, uh, if there's other bidders out there that have been laying you know in the weeds that haven't been reported, maybe they combine with Josh Harris. Maybe uh, you know, so all that is still up in the air. Right. I think Dan's going to get his six billion dollar, maybe plus, price.
1: I think there's a lot of and ways think, to get I, to that number without it being all cash. By the way, and I mentioned this yesterday, the rules on purchasing NFL teams are too restrictive. You know, they've cut out a lot of people. Everybody thinks, well, this, you know, there are lots of people that can just plop down 30% of a 6 billion dollar number in cash. There aren't a lot of people that can do that. Jeff Bezos is one of them though. He can do it. Um, but they don't take yeah, private sure. equity, they don't take sovereign wealth, <clears throat> you know, essentially, you know, oil money. Um, the NFL is going to have to change some of its ways because
2: oh, absolutely, the prices are too high for these teams now. The valuation's too high. <laughs> the NBA is already doing it, and uh, the NFL is going to have to going to have to let in some of that Saudi money, right? <laughs>
1: I just love I love your line about I'm just laughing again because you used Woodbridge, but the better example is Dumfries because that was really the area like do you really think they're gonna let Washington move to Dumfries? Are you out of your mind, people? Um which was your take, you know, last year when we when they bought the when they had the option on that land in Dumfries or Woodbridge. But it was Dumfries always, that was the furthest away, yes, right? Wasn't it Dumfries or that was it? W- yeah, I,
2: When I always refer to it in my column, I always refer to them <laughs> wanting to put the team in West Virginia.
1: Right. But that's almost North Carolina at that point. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, Dumfries. You give me a break. Uh, that was never going to so happen. So, I think
2: if Bezos wants the team, he's going to own the team.
1: Okay. Um, I think it might just get to the point where, you know, they say, okay – just then just sell it. Sell it to Josh. And by the way, we'll forgive some of this loan. And we just we just want you out of here. I actually like in thinking about this, as much as these owners are pretty damn successful and don't like getting run over, it's so crucial right now for Dan Snyder to leave this franchise that he actually has some leverage in his exit. I would think Another he does. Words.
2: He is he is he is so abhorrent an individual that he can he can leverage his abhorrence into into making money.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, that's that's obviously a funny way to put it. But the other part is, D.C.'s a dead market for the NFL with him here, and they know it. They've known it for a while. Every indication, you know, reflects that financially. Every emotional indication reflects that. Um, They have to get him out. This is too important of a market. It has suffered for too long. And, you know, and, and, and by the way, this is part of, like... I understand that waiting, the valuations go up and up and up, but his behavior has run down the organization. The losing, the, the poor ownership has run down to the organi- run down the organization. If this were a healthier organization, just slightly healthier, without all the controversy, I don't think anybody would balk at six billion plus for this Absolutely. franchise. Absolutely,
2: I think, I think you're right. Um, I Think you're right,
1: but. All right, Oh, my other question to you to finish up this segment, and then we will go short on Wentz and short on something else to finish up the show. Don't you think the other owners learning, if they didn't know this, about Goodell basically protecting Snyder against illegally obtaining this uh, credit line, don't you think they're pissed at Goodell?
2: I would think some of them are. I would think some of them, he saved their bacon in certain situations that we don't know about. But I would think some of them are. Yeah, I mean, I would think some are. Yeah, yeah, we we, we like you talk, talk, talked about this in the beginning of the podcast. We don't understand why Roger Goodell would go so far out of his way to protect the guy who's so damaging, and he had to have seen that. You know, I mean, Goodell is a Washington guy. Yes, he Remember, he, he knows what he, this he, market should up. be. Yes, which which even makes less sense.
1: I know. I, I, I don't th- – that part of it, but I think, you know, he works for Dan. You know, he worked for Dan more than he worked the for Char. The
2: powerful owner in the NFL. The poor boy at league meetings.
1: Yeah. Honestly, the, the guy that essentially was in the corner with the dunce cap on most of the time and then got so sick of it that he stopped going to those meetings. Yeah. I mean, he has not impressed anybody during his ownership period. Maybe early on as he used kind of his marketing and merchandising expertise to take advantage of a lot of the stuff that maybe the the Cooks were not. You know, certainly John well, Cook they, wasn't.
2: He, he, they thought they thought they were getting Jerry Jones too. Yeah. And they weren't.
1: Yeah, not like Jerry Jones has won a lot in the last 20 years. But they've won a but, lot more than Snyder. <laughs>
2: But you can't deny Jerry's impact on the business of the
1: league. All right, let's get to Carson Wentz right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. By saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: Tommy, tell everybody about Shelley's.
2: We just talked about like the stench of Dan Snyder. Here's a place where you can get away from that stench. Shelley's back room. Because when you walk into Shelley's, if, if you're a cigar aficionado, You'll have the great aroma of quality cigars. But if you're not a cigar aficionado, you probably won't even notice it. Right. Because their air filtration system is so great that smokers and non-smokers alike love going to Shelleys. But again, this is the place, This is I call it the Oasis from D.C. If, if the politics are driving you nuts, if Dan Snyder's driving you nuts, if, if you're Family is driving you nuts. This is the place
1: to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, is, you're downtown with, if you're downtown with your family, just <laughs> say you guys go to the museum. I'm going to go down here yes. and I'll pick you up when your yes. day's over. See how that works yes. out for you.
2: She- Shelley's back room, and you'll be amazed at the people that you meet at Shelley's. Uh, I'm always amazed at the outer towners that I meet, and and how they say it's such a friendly place when you know when they're talking to me. Out, You know, they, they've been in a couple of other restaurants or bars, and they were cold, but then they come to Shelley's, and they're welcomed, and they, they engage in conversations. You know, it's the kind of place where if you don't want to talk to anybody, you can sit in your comfortable chair and smoke your cigar and watch the world go by. But if you want to engage maybe with somebody who works on Capitol Hill or somebody who works on K Street or the cab driver, okay, you can do that at Shelly's back room.
1: Shelley's is awesome. By the way, Ron Rivera out at the Indy Combine um, was asked about the, the the latest ESPN report from Don Van Natta. He said, "Quote: I've been in meetings all morning, so I'm really not sure what it's about. But it's really nice to be here. We're looking for football players." Um, uh, also, on another note, he just found out that the loss to Cleveland meant that there was a possibility he could be eliminated from the playoffs. At the end of the day. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um,
2: Carson, Carson
1: Wentz released yesterday. So I, I, this is not going to be about a a pat on the back kind of a thing. Um, I, you know, I did not like the trade. I thought the day that it happened that they were taken to the cleaners by Indianapolis. My first reaction was my God, if you're uh, all those picks are one thing, but to eat the salary too, are you kidding me? Couldn't you at least have gotten them to eat 14 million of the 28 million? I doubt they even asked. Um, <clears throat> it's really it was an indication in the, in the moment and I felt this way and I think you did as well that they were super desperate. They struck out on Russell Wilson, they struck out on Garoppolo. We don't even know where Wentz was. Um, But overall, it was a bad deal when it happened, and clearly in hindsight, it looks like one of the worst trades the franchise has ever made, and there have been a lot of those um, over the years. Um, But I think that if you're going to give the franchise any credit, number one, it's kind of credit and, and, and criticism at the same time. When they didn't restructure Carson Wentz's contract, as we talked about all last spring and summer, it was an obvious tell that this trade was a trade of hope, not a trade of confidence. They hoped it would work out, but they were unsure as to whether or not it would work out. And they did not restructure his deal, which meant they could get rid of him at the, end of the, at the end of the first year without any dead cap money. And at the same time, if they had restructured his deal, maybe they could have added an offensive lineman or two to help the team out by lowering his cap number in 2022. But they didn't, they didn't do that. That was an obvious tell that this was a hopeful acquisition, not a confident acquisition. Um, Secondly, it's a good thing they didn't play him for 70% of the snaps. Now, they couldn't because he was hurt. Um, It would have been interesting had he not been hurt, if he would have ultimately been benched before that 70% uh, hit. But, you know, to give up um, five spots in the second round, a third-round pick, and then a conditional pick in 2023, which is now, we know, a third-rounder. So two-thirds and five spots in the second, and then eat all of his salary. Terrible deal in the moment. Hopeful deal, clearly. Um, But they knew that this was a one-year wing and a prayer, Hope that for whatever reason Carson Wentz can resurrect his career in D.C. Bad player acquisition strategy. When you acquire in a hopeful manner, you have to acquire in a confident manner. They were never confident despite what they said, including, by the way, I saw you tweet this out and it was brilliant. Remembering the Scott Abraham interview of Carson Wentz and then the Jason Wright response to it. Where basically he threatened to cut off access. Now he changed his mind on that, you know, within a couple of hours. But you know, all of the protection of Carson Wentz, and the the question was totally appropriate. Even though you and I think I think both at the, at the time said the tone, the presentation could have been a little bit softer. But the the question itself was totally um, relevant. The Ron Rivera, you know, talking about how it was his decision after the Van Natta story. By the way, you know, in the in the middle of the season in November or October, whenever it was, that suggested that Snyder may have been involved in the decision. Um, It's just, it was so fake. You know, it it was clear that it was fake. They rolled the dice that maybe he would be better than what they had, and they hoped he would be an answer for more than a year. But they didn't think, they were not confident about any of it. Um, And to me, it leads to this, and and then I'll let you uh, you take it and run with it. I just don't have a hell of a lot of confidence in their ability to acquire a quarterback. You know, I know that they
2: Absolutely not.
1: I know that they tried for Matt Stafford and I was in favor of that. And they didn't get Matt Stafford, and that actually made me feel good in the moment, but they didn't get him. They tried for Russell Wilson and I was for that try. And I would have been dead wrong, I think. I don't think it would have been any different here than it was in Denver this year. Although I still think there's a chance that with Sean Payton, um it turns around next year with the team that they have, but um they swung big with Russell Wilson. Um, They had a chance, you know, in the first year to take Tua or Justin Herbert, but they selected Chase Young. But I don't have a lot of confidence in their ability to identify and then acquire with the right value um, a quarterback. But But I also want to say this. It's really hard to find one. They're not the only team. They're, now, they've been a team that has not handled a lot of this stuff well with lots of different administrations. You know, the last bad trade, I don't think the RG3 trade, the, the trade for the picks was a bad trade. I didn't think so in the moment, and I still think it was worth the swing. The Donovan McNabb trade was a dumb trade, getting fleeced by Andy Reid, you know, for a second and a fourth when the head coach didn't even want it. Um, but it is really hard – and I don't hold it against Ron Rivera and the organization for not finding a franchise quarterback yet, because a lot of teams have been, you know in the wilderness looking for one for a long time. They're hard to find. But I do have lost confidence in their ability to find one and then, you know, pay for it with the right value. because um, I think that they got so taken to the cleaners by the Colts. Uh, A year ago, and the Colts recognized the desperation. They telegraphed it the whole way. So anyway, uh, bad trade, um, but they don't owe him any money moving forward. And they didn't have to give up a second rounder by playing him in 70% of the snaps, but a really bad trade at the time. And in hindsight, And uh, I'm I'm sure I'll hear from all of the people that were basically threatening me if I don't, you know, if I don't get on board that you guys were going to make me get out and move to Minneapolis. Um, uh, Anyway, what did you think?
2: Listen, Well, the part to me that's so maddening is, I mean, that you and I could see there was enough intelligence available out there to turn you off from this trade to make you walk away, to, 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 to rule it out. You know, I mean, it's not like inside league information. And remember Laveros' rule, which is being proven right 1,000% <laughs> with Snyder. If things look bad from the outside,
1: <laughs> yes. they're
2: typically much, much worse. They are. Okay? So, so uh, from the outside, Carson Wentz looked like a train wreck. Okay? So we don't know what was going on on the inside, I would assume that since these people work for the league, they had availability to that inside information. As well, but just basically what the average Joe knew on the street would have told you that Carson Wentz was a terrible trade. And you're right, his ability to to uh, since Ron is the chief personnel guy, the head guy, his ability to pick quarterbacks since uh, I mean, been here, you know, to to go ahead and give the owners guy Dwayne may he rest in peace Haskins his shot wasting a year doing that uh and uh you know I mean we're talking about Sam Howell like you've mentioned before there were people Ron had to be talked into starting <laughs> Sam Howell in that last game of the year <laughs> and now he's your quarterback moving forward it's a little bit insane uh that whole the whole Sam Howell thing but but you're right I mean it, it's, there was enough information available for them to say that Teddy Bridgewater would have been a better deal than Carson Wentz.
1: Um, <clears throat> one of our longtime callers to our show and then to my show in recent years, Brad, who's you know uh, always been great. Brad called in this morning. He said, I mean, how could you have any confidence? I mean, in the last week it was – He can't start, he can start. He can't start, he can't start. Oh, by the way, he's our QB1 in the offseason a week later. I mean, like, they just don't, they don't know if they're coming or going when it comes to the quarterbacks. The Sam Howell thing
2: is a hopeful. They're making it up as they go along. The
1: Sam Howell thing, just so everybody understands, is a hopeful thing, too. Okay, it's not a confidence thing. Now, they didn't have to trade multiple picks and pay him $28 million. So that's the good news on him. And let me just mention the Carson Wentz thing last year, red flags all over it, two organizations taking severe, severe penalty for moving on from him. The Eagles, the largest cap, a dead cap hit in NFL history at the time. The, the, the Colts had traded a first-rounder less than a year before saying, we don't want to have anything to do with this guy. And by the way, not saying nice things about him on the way out. Uh, which which ge- should have given Washington the first clue. We can get this guy for a song. They'll take anything. Uh, but they didn't think that way. Um, uh, but let's not forget, again, I don't know if he's going to be a good offensive coordinator or a bad offensive coordinator. And they didn't have to trade anything for him. There was no cost to bringing on Eric Bieniemy but eric bienemy had no other options but washington just remember that if you can't see and recognize the red flags that were all over wentz and the lesser red flags that are on bienemy you're naive you're the mark you know so i again bienemy's different in that he's had success he comes fully endorsed, and you don't have to trade for him, and there's nothing to lose because it's not like you're replacing Norv Turner with Eric Bienemy. You're right. replacing Scott Turner with Eric Bienemy. But don't think that there isn't the possibility here that this whole thing, for all of them, is a one and dunner. And this time next year we're talking about a whole new group. Uh, I did want to mention one thing about Carson Wentz, and that is this. We don't know that and in fact I think I do know that the things that plagued him in Philly and Indianapolis with respect to some of the relationships and some of the ways that people thought of him as being uncoachable, et cetera. We did not hear any of that with respect to him in Washington. You know, every you yeah. know, interview that he didn't
2: mean he was that doesn't mean he was beloved in the room.
1: I didn't say that but he was not okay. the pain in the ass that he may have been in Philadelphia anyway.
2: No, he wasn't. Yeah. He was not. At least not publicly, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um and you know, it's possible that he grew and matured personally, even though football-wise he still wasn't accurate. He still buckled under pressure. Um and uh yeah, he I don't think he'll get a shot okay, in the league next this. year. Is that what you're going to ask me? Is he going to yeah, be in the league next what said. year?
2: That's I I, I I think he's out of the league.
1: He might be. Yeah, sure. I think he is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who's out there that would take him on that knows him. Like, it's, he's not going to be in Carolina. Frank Reich doesn't want anything to do with him, right? I mean, it's not Philly. It's not uh, who else was in that organization. It's not Doug Peterson. I don't think it's Doug Peterson. In Jacksonville, you think he's going to go down and back up Trevor Lawrence? Yeah. I don't think so. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, we've got a few more things to get to. We'll finish up the show with those things next right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
0: Tax day is coming. Oh,
1: no. This final segment of the show is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. MyBookie's been a terrific sponsor for this podcast for a few years, and they want to offer something to our listeners that I think makes sense for the upcoming March Madness uh, month, and that is a deposit bonus uh, that allows you to make your deposit, wager that deposit amount one time, and cash out immediately. So let's just say you want to bet with conference tournaments starting up this weekend and next, and then the NCAA tournament, but not have to hang in there and bet your deposit amount three, four times before you can get out. MyBookie's offering you that chance. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Again, use my promo code, KevinDC, at mybookie.a Uh, So, real quickly, um, I did want to mention, because I talked yesterday, that on Sunday night I was at AU, Tommy, for the Catholic League semifinals, and the two games were spectacular. Paul VI beating DeMathis 72-70, St. John's beating Gonzaga 54-53. Well, the final was last night, and apparently it was an all-timer. St. John's, who is the number 11 team in the nation, Beat the number three team in the nation, Paul the Sixth, in the WCAC final, sixty five to sixty three. Deshaun Harris Smith, wow. PVIs, uh, you know, best player headed to Maryland, had twenty four in the final. It was Daquan Davis who had the game winner for St. John's, um, and that's the first loss uh, for Paul the Sixth in, in in the Catholic League this year. I, I in watching the semifinals on Sunday night, I said to a friend of mine. I think St. John's is the team that can actually beat Paul VI. I didn't think that Gonzaga would have the same opportunity, and Gonzaga nearly pulled off the win over St. John's. I thought St. John's was more talented um, than, uh, than Gonzaga was. But, God, the basketball on Sunday night and then last night. I wasn't there last night. You got three incredible games. And, by the way, the St. John's girls – Beat Paul the Sixth in the WCAC girls Finals. So, congrats to St. John's uh, across the board, um, winning um, both of the league championships at AU. Um, my God, Tommy, our, our town has so much talent. I mean, look, pretty much everybody on the floor that I saw Sunday night is going to play college basketball, most of whom will play D1 college basketball somewhere. And guarantee you, if, if this is anything like the past, several of those players will be playing professionally in a few years, maybe one or two in the NBA um, in a few years. Uh, it's amazing the talent that this area has. Um I just I, I heard from so many of you that were at the game last night that said as good as the games were on Sunday night, the game last night was even better. Um sorry I missed it, but congrats to St. John's uh for the win uh over PVI Paul the Sixth. Um all right. uh,
2: I wanted to mention just one thing before we go. Sure. Uh just to let people know that uh, that you can read my column uh on, on my Twitter account, Tom Lovero which deals with the sale of the team, Dan Snyder and Jeff Bezos. Uh, you can go online at washingtontimes.com, click on sports. Jeff.
1: All right. Um, I know you wanted to talk quickly about what the new baseball rules are doing in spring training. Uh, so share with everybody what the new rules have produced so far.
2: Well, so far they've cut, I think, somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes off of games.
1: That's amazing.
2: Pretty dramatic. Pretty dramatic. Difference and look, I'm not crazy uh, that the game had to do this, but it had gotten out of control. I mean, the the the, the whole the whole you know, look at me show uh, at the plate with the batters basically adjusting their wristband, adjusting their shin guard, you know, stepping out of the box all the time. I, I mean, and, and the pitchers, you know, taking their time before they wind up throwing. Uh, the, whole, the game had gotten out of control, and it required drastic measures, I think, to, to, to make it more reasonable like it used to be. These are the times that games used to be. And the biggest culprit, though, are pitching changes. I, I don't remember what the limit for pitching changes are. There is a limit now for pitching changes. We'll have to see how that unfolds. Nobody wants to see a game end on a batter being called out no, on they a strike don't. because he's He's not in the box,
1: Right, so you know, what I don't you know do? if they're going to yeah. fix
2: that or not, uh, because this I mean, uh, hopefully if they are, they'll do it before the season starts. but most of the time- to- but again, you're trying to change behaviors and and there's going to be instances like this where it happens, you know.
1: You know, this oh, uh, This happened in that first spring training game between, I think, the Braves and the Red Sox the other night. The batter was up yeah. with the bases loaded in a 6-6 game, 3-2 count. And the pitch was a ball, but because he was not back in the batter's box within eight seconds, it was called a strike, and the game ended. So instead of a uh, a walk in walk to end the game seven to six um, in spring training games end in ties, um, he was called out. Nobody wants to see that. We we agree on that, no. right? You we can't yes. see that in the regular season.
2: No, nobody. it'll be very rare, I would think. Still, you don't want to see it because that's what will get the attention, you know, not 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 cutting the games by 30, 35 minutes. The, the one call where a, a player is called out with a game on the line, that's what will get the attention. I don't know what they're going to do if they are going to try to fix that. Uh, I don't know if they can, but that's a problem that they need to look at.
1: The conversation about you know shortening baseball games just reminds me, and I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, and if I'm being repetitive, I apologize. But I know I had this guy Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated on the radio show last week talking about college football attempting to shorten their games. It's something I've said for a long time now. That college football is my favorite thing. You know, I love the NFL too. I love Saturdays. And yet the games are so long. I mean, how many games have you guys watched where the 3.30 game starts and it's like 7.15 and it's still going on? And they've had a problem with that. And so... They are voting on some rules changes to shorten college football games, which average about three hours and 21 minutes uh, and average about 180 plays per game. Okay, They average 180 plays. The NFL averages 155 plays, so they're running 25 more plays in college football than they are in the NFL. So the rule changes that they're considering two or no-brainers. They're not going to allow teams to call back-to-back timeouts, which they do to ice kickers all the time. And that is a rule in the NFL, as we know as, as Skins fans. Remember when Joe Gibbs infamously called the back-to-back timeouts in the Buffalo game following the Sean Taylor death. Oh, my God. That was one nice. of the sickest moments I felt so awful yes, for ran. him. Um, the other thing they're planning on doing is not having untimed downs at the end of the first quarter and third quarter, meaning if there's a penalty at the end of the first quarter, they're not going to extend the first quarter to run another play. They'll just go right to the second quarter. Those are no-brainers. Those are going to get approved. But the other two rules that are being considered are bigger deals. One, which I personally don't think a big it will is a big deal, and I think it'll get approved, and that is – something that I've suggested for years now, which is that the clock continue to run after first downs, except in the final two minutes of the half for the game. You know, one thing that is very unique to college football, Tommy, is, you know, late in a game, you may not have any timeouts, but if you get a first down, they're going to stop the clock to move the chains, and then they're going to restart it. Well, that adds a lot of time to the game, roughly eight to nine minutes, I think, is what this guy Ross Dellinger told me. Um, And to eliminate that for all but the final two minutes of the first half or two minutes of the uh, game you know is going to save some some meaningful time. You don't need that. You don't need there's too many first downs and big chunk plays in college football. I think that'll get passed, but here's the major one that they're considering, I don't think it'll get passed, and that is the clock running on incomplete passes. So the ball they'll stop the clock on an incomplete pass, then they'll spot the ball and run the clock before you snap it. So you could be in the huddle and the clock will be running. I That would, that would uh, eliminate significant time from the game and a significant number of plays. And to me, would be a hit to the game that we know, which is when you're watching football and you see an incomplete pass, you know the, the, the clock stops. So at the end of a game, you're down three, you're driving, And you spike the ball, that's an incomplete pass. Clock stops, you huddle, you sub, you get the field goal team out. Um, And they are contemplating rolling the clock after it's spotted after incomplete passes. I don't think that one will get passed, personally. And I don't think it should, but I think the other three should. And I think it'll help speed up uh, the game. Um, Everybody's looking to speed up the game. Look, the NFL's been looking to speed up the game for a while now. By the way, the NFL's considering, um, I was reading Maskey the other day, they're considering replay for roughing the passer, and they're also uh, considering, once again, the 4th and 15 play in lieu of the onside kick, which I'm actually in favor of. That's an XFL rule. Instead of an onside kick, you line up and you run a 4th and 15 from your own 20. And if you convert then you keep the ball. It's like recovering an onside kick, right? And you would be at your own 35-yard line, right right about where you'd kick the ball from. Um, If you don't, the other team takes over as if it were a 4th and 15, and it was a turnover on downs. I actually like that rule. That's a major drastic rule change. Typically, I'm not in favor of those. But I like that one because the chances of recovering an onside uh, kick with the new safety you know rules that are involved with formations, et cetera, I mean, we're talking like 6 to 7% of the time it happens. It's like such a yeah. long shot. So if you're down two scores, you're down 10, you score, you line up to kick the onside kick, the game's basically over. You've lost if you're down two scores with less than two minutes to go with no timeouts. Anyway, you said um, – uh, you told me that there, uh, before this segment that there was new Ron Rivera news that you wanted to get to. What is it?
2: Well, uh, Ron Rivera out of, uh, out of the NFL Combine where he's at on Sam Howe, quote, he's not our starter. He's coming in as quarterback number one, and he'll get a chance to be the starter.
1: <laughs>
2: wait, wait, What? What did he say? He's not our starter. Uh huh. He's coming in as quarterback one, and he'll get a chance to be the starter. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Well, this is the – he also,
2: he also indicated that Taylor Heineke could be in the mix to come back.
1: Oh, oh. boy. Um, We're
2: going to do it all over
1: again, baby. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, if, if that's true, it's because Taylor's going to end up being super cheap. And didn't have the market that he thought because they're not spending a lot of money on a quarterback here. Um, he's not our starter. He's coming in as QB1, he, and he'll get a chance QB1. to be the starter. Well, I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> saying it's his, like we said, when he named him QB1, but they said, you know, they're going to bring in other quarterbacks. It is his job right. to lose.
2: Yes. If your quarterback won, you're quarterback one, you're going to get more of the work. With the first
1: team. Well, it's also tie goes to him if it's a tie, if it's close. Yes. He's he's going to have to get beat out soundly by Taylor Heineke or by Andy Dalton or by Jacoby Brissett. Somebody like that.
2: Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: He is a piece of work, that one.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, are we done?
2: I think we're done, boss.
1: All right. We am sure we'll have more to talk about on Thursday. That's two full days away. Yes, we will. Lots of information coming out. Like I said yesterday, buckle up. It is going to get busy here with Dan Snyder news and team sale information over the next few weeks. Not to mention, everybody's in Indy this week, and there's always news that comes out of the Indy Combine. All right, I'm back tomorrow. You don't even know what stupid is. It's about to get all stupid up in here!
2: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop
0: by. Granger.